I mean, it was woeful. One of the worst football programs in the country. They went ten. They won only ten games in eight years, and they went two only years in a row. Only ten games in eight years. Two years in a row, back oh, to back, oh, oh. no wins at all. So the question is, I mean, what is it about him? And, and it, does it show how one person can make a difference? Absolutely right. I've always felt at the college level, the right person, right coach. And what he is is this. David is interesting. You've met him. He's, he's a great coach. Not only the national coach of the year last year, but the national assistant coach of the year a number of years ago. He's a great coach. He's a teacher. Right. That's what he is. He's a teacher, and he has the kind of personality where kids, I'm, I'm watching them practice. You know, last time I played a college football game was 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, I'm ready to suit up for this guy. <laughs> you know, I want to play for this guy. That's what it shows. Here we go. Welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, and Jamie Holt. And we finally made it to the final game of the 2021 Duke football season. And Needless to say, we're all waiting for that final whistle to blow on this potentially 3-9 and nine season for the Blue Devils. And this past Thursday's game was another rough one as the Louisville Cardinals took Duke behind the woodshed, winning 62-22. to 22. And, fellas, we won't harp too much on this game, but really quick, we've got a great episode lined up. Give us your quick thoughts on this past Thursday night's game. Yeah, um, I don't know what there is much to say, but – other than Mateo, you know, went into, I think, fourth place on the all-time rushing list. I mean, so that's awesome. And we know Mateo is going to be playing on Sundays next year. He's had a great year. Um, Malik Cunningham ran wild on us. I mean, it was insane. What did he have, seven total touchdowns? I mean, that may, that may have been one of the single best performances I've ever seen in Wallace Wade Stadium. Like, of course, our defense was – to put it nicely, Swiss cheese. And there was a lot of times where players were wide open. Malik Cunningham took off on runs and he just kind of jogged into the end zone. Uh, he kind of kind of rubbed our faces in it a little bit, you know, pointed at the, the few students that were at the game. He pointed at them when he ran into the end zone. And it's just, it just was ugly. I don't really know what else to say about it. I do believe that uh, he actually just scored another touchdown. I think so. I think he just scored again on his way to the basketball game. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, just the individual performance there by Cunningham was unbelievable. Um, you definitely didn't want to be on the end of it that we were on, where he's basically – I mean, honestly, we are calling touchdown when they're snapping the football, and daggummit, if it didn't just happen as we're watching it. The first and 10 on the 20 – 28-yard line, I jokingly said, hey, we're going to have a 72-yard touchdown. I was joking. He ran right down to the sideline. The funniest part about the play, and it's they, they mentioned this on TV and other places, that the wide receiver was still blocking the DB 75 yards down the field through the back of the end zone as he was scoring the touchdown. So, you know, watching him just run all over us was not fun. That's – you know, it's yeah, it's it's kind of a microcosm of how this season has gone. Um, we've not been able to stop a mobile quarterback yet. And we'll get here in a minute, but this is actually the first quote unquote non-mobile quarterback we've seen in a while. So it's gonna be interesting this Saturday. Yeah, you, you mentioned Malik Cunningham just having his way. One of those touchdowns, I swear, I swear he was laughing. Like I, I mean, you couldn't see. 
through the helmet, but it was as if he got to about the 15 yard line and he just began laughing. And, um, man, that was, that was kind of the way the whole night went, you know, just to be honest with you. And I don't blame the fans for this, but it was a poor turnout, uh, from the fans. I would even say the casual Duke fan might not even have known that we were playing a Thursday night game. This was another embarrassment on national TV on ESPN. Um, we did not obviously get to hear what the ESPN announcers were saying during the game, but uh, it definitely, from what we saw on Twitter and whatnot, uh, wasn't good, a good look for Duke at all on that Thursday night. And there were some recruits there uh, that we saw as well. And you just have to wonder what a night like that does to a junior or senior in high school who has other options to attend and play football elsewhere. Uh, but just a disappointing night. But, hey, Malik Cunningham was as advertised, and we can all say we were there when Malik Cunningham, like, broke broke a couple of single-game records. Josh, it was so bad the announcers weren't even there. They were broadcasting from the uh, studios in Connecticut. So that puts a lot of things into perspective. Shout-out to Chris Wagner and his crew. We actually went and did a tailgate with him before the game. Uh, Very accommodating. Chris, if you're listening, we really appreciate the hospitality. Uh, Malik Cunningham was actually under the weather, guys. I don't know if y'all knew that. So imagine how he would have performed had he been 100%. Uh, Stat for you, 11 carries, 224 yards. So that means he averaged 20 yards a carry. I mean, if Louisville was better than 6-5, and we might be talking Heisman, not trying to be funny here. He also went 18 of 25, 303 passing yards, and five touchdowns. So, needless to say, guys, Duke gives up about 515 yards a game. They gave it up to one man, 527. Sorry, Scott, yeah. 62 plays, they scored 62 points. Wow. So, so you're saying Malik Cunningham was six, so that was like the Jordan flu game? Pretty much. I don't know what pizzeria he ate at in Durham the night before, but it didn't work, guys. I'm sorry. It did not work. Uh, but on a broader note, again, Mateo went into fourth past Sean Wilson. Kudos to Mateo. He still has a shot at the single season rushing record, guys. He's 97 yards away from that Steve Jones record that's been intact for 50 years. I think he can do it this year, uh, this game. He's got to do it. Hopefully, he's he's been banged up. Hopefully, he has enough um, enough power and strength. And it was good to see Gunner out there. I mean, we had a lot of concerns with Gunner when he went down. You know, we, we've been fortunate to speak with his mom. She's come by and spoken with us. But really good. Gunner seemed to be the gunner of old. It's just he didn't have much time to, to make his connections. Jake Bobo went over 100 yards again. So Jake's had a great season. So trying to harp on some of the positives from this game. But I think it's safe to say that this Miami game can't come quick enough. There's a lot of unknowns as we head into this offseason um, especially who's going to stay, who's going to go both on and off the field. But regardless, it's just gotten to the point, I think it showed Thursday night, we've had a Friday night game, that Miami game years ago. A lot of people showed up. Jamie made a good point. What if we had had five wins heading into this game? I'm pretty sure the stadium would have been probably 50% more full than what it was. It's, again, Subtle things show the state of a program, and the turnout Thursday night was one of them. It was it was disappointing, uh, to say the least. But again, all in all, 
it, it was just one of those things where we try to find the positives, but 62-22, you can't hide that. Malik Cunningham was a man amongst boys, and I think uh, we'll, I'll close the Louisville game with that. So we'll, we're going to move on. We've actually got a special recording uh, that we actually did earlier tonight. Josh actually was able to interview some super fans of Duke football. Uh, and if you've ever been to a football game at Duke, you've probably seen these guys on the big screen or in the stands wearing hard hats with devil horns on them. They are the hard hat guys. And again, Josh got to sit down with them to discuss their origins and get their thoughts on Duke football. And I'm here with the ever popular Duke fan trio, the hard hat guys. Uh, Matt Tedder's here with us. He's going to introduce the rest of the crew, um, but we're all here hanging out uh, this episode, and we are excited to learn a little bit more about the Hard Hat Guys. Matt, why don't you introduce yourself and your two uh, co-workers there with the Hard Hat Guys. All right, well, appreciate you having us. Uh, my name's Matt. Uh, my dad, Alex, and I are um, hard hat number one and number two. I'm number two in more ways than one. And number three is uh, Mike Hardison. He's adopted. The, so he was adopted into the family. Yeah, adopted into the crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I guess that's the that's where we could start. Um, tell us how this all started, man. I mean, we've obviously seen you guys, um, you know, on at road games. You know, whenever they're they're looking in the crowd for Duke fans, they always tend to find the hard hat guys. We see it all the home games um, over the last, you know, as long as we can remember. So tell us, how did this all start? So um, I'll let Mike tell his part, but um, my dad, Alex, and I started coming to games uh, back in the early 90s, off and on. And our first season of coming to all the games, home and away, was 2008 when Cut was hired. Um, and that was our, our first season of going to every single home game and all the away games in the same season. We've done that a few times since. But um, we just went to games like average fans. Um, the hard hat started in 2014, I believe it was, when we broke ground for the new Wallace Wade after beating Wake Forest, the last game of the season. Cut came out with the bulldozer and had a hard hat on and did the ceremonial broke the ground and threw the dirt and all that stuff when they took the track out of our former high school stadium. And uh, we thought, you know, it'd be a cool idea if we wore hard hats to the game next, next year. Uh, a little background to that. My dad is a retired construction worker, road construction. So, you know, it kind of made sense to wear hard hats. So we did and jazzed them up a little bit, put horns on them, put lights in them. Uh, and it's kind of evolved into its, own little thing. I've I've got four different colors worth of hats, and I change the logos for whatever helmet and logo combination they wear at the game. I wear that, or make it for the guys to wear. So that's pretty cool. So you and your dad, that was a natural connection, but you added a, a third member to the team. Uh, how did that How did that happen? Oh, it's pretty unique. Um, I started with Duke football, Duke basketball back when I was growing up. Our church youth group would actually uh, allow us to attend one football game a year and sporadically some Duke basketball games occasionally. Uh, but it was in 2014 we had the spring game at Duke and I uh, didn't know it at the time, but I think Alex actually captured me in one of the photos 
We kind of found out a little bit later, but I joined the team in 2015 uh, when we met at Virginia Tech for an away game. And so ever since, it's been uh, a great honor to be a part of the team. Yeah, that's really cool. I do love the fact that you guys uh, wear the specific uh, helmet uh, that Duke's wearing that week. And uh, we always keep our eye on the on the Duke football equipment and what they're going to put out each week. And so I guess that's another question. What has been, what is your favorite hard hat guys combo? Uh, what mm. color helmet and then what decal? Um, I'll go first and let them think about it and decide what they like. My, my favorite look, um, well, I'm kind of biased. I know what I like, but then I know what I, what's the easiest to put together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, the Hellraiser logo is a complete pill to put on those hats, but it looks pretty cool. But my favorite logo is the white hats with the blue D. Uh, the easiest to put on is the script because it just goes right on. So, but if I had to say, I would say white hats, blue D. All right. So classic, the classic dude. Well, what, what about you other guys? I, I like the blue helmet with just the white D. Just, oh, yeah. I guess I'm kind of plain. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I like the white hat with the blue D, blue shirt, and white pants as a whole okay. uniform outfit. And be quite honest, the white hat wears the best to me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I love it. I love it. It's, it's really neat, uh, guys, that, that, that you do that, and I love that. So you guys have done, you know, not just the home games, but you try to get to, you know, nearly every away game as well. And so you've got – you guys have been able to um, be inside of some pretty awesome venues and stadiums uh, throughout the ACC and even in maybe in some non-conference play as well. Uh, so I guess what has been your favorite road game experience? Maybe the atmosphere of the stadium, just everything all together. What's your favorite road game experience? Uh, my, my personal favorite place to go in conference is Virginia Tech. Um, we've had a little bit of success there as of late also, which helps. Um, I would say that's that and Clemson are probably the two closest to the SEC type environments that we're going to see here in the ACC. Um, we, we have experienced some pretty neat places. We've, um, we've won games in a lot of places that a lot of people can't say they've won. We were at the Notre Dame game where we won in 16. Uh, that was a pretty fun shuttle ride back to the car full of Notre Dame people after stealing the dub from them. Um, but you know, we've, the best experience, the game experience that I've ever seen was not away. It was at Duke, uh, the 2012 Carolina game. And there's never been a game close to that. I don't know that I'll ever see a game better than that just because of what it was going to a bowl, beating Carolina for the first time in forever. Um, but I, I would say the, the coolest trip top to bottom was Notre Dame because we were not supposed to win that game. and uh, it was our all of our first times being there, seeing touchdown Jesus and being in that stadium and and then stealing a win from them. Uh, it was a fun trip. Yeah, that that's that's awesome. And uh, Duke fans will never forget that game. Uh, for, well, they'll never forget that game, and then they'll never forget that UNC game. And that was going to kind of be our next our next question that you already answered. But that that 2012 <laughs> game, that catch that Crowder made um, in the end zone, you know, and that stadium, just the electricity in that stadium. Uh, honestly, we've not really been able to get back there um, as far as the excitement um, since those years. But that was, um, 
man, when I think of Duke football, I think about the James and Crowder catch. And so, um, you know, I think I, I definitely think that that uh, that I would agree with you there. Um, one of the things that you guys go to away games, you're at all the home games, of course. Um, it's afforded you an opportunity to have some perspective. One of the things we're going to do in the offseason is put together an episode about ways that, that Duke can maybe improve um, the fan experience, uh, whether it be you know inside a stadium or even, even just the experience in general. Um, but I know you guys have seen a lot, um, a lot of places. Uh, what are a couple of things that you'd like to see us do as a program uh, to really help the fan engagement? I think Duke is – there's such potential with Duke home games. There, We have so many things that I think, as, as a fan that's been to however many games we've been to, 150-ish, I think that we leave a lot on the table, like um, third down plays. Our cheerleaders are obviously instructed to get people to cheer on offense <laughs> instead of on defense. It's the little things like that, that um, I, I really have to wonder if some of the people that make decisions for Wallace Wade have ever been to an away game and ever seen some of the other. Um, the, the thing fresh in my mind is when we most recently played Pitt. Um, if you go to Pitt, they play Sweet Caroline sometime third, fourth quarter, every game. Uh, we haven't played Sweet Caroline all year long, but we played it that game. That's it's that kind of thing. Um, you know, animations on the screen, incorporating songs that have devil in them, running with the devil, devil inside, hell's bells. Um, it used to drive me crazy when we did have the victory bell. Seems like an eternity ago. When we did have it, we never rang it. Um, it could be a fantastic fan experience to bring fans down during the game, to ring it during timeouts, to ring it when we get first downs to, uh, to, to let fans know that they may call on you and you may get to come down here and ring the bell. Um, you know, we rang the bell during the spring game, which to me was a really cool experience. We, we got to walk down the tunnel. We got to um, ring the bell. We got to take pictures with players. And those pictures are where we saw Hardison. You know, we're going through our pictures and we're like, that's where we've seen that guy. It was at the spring game. Um, I realize that we're we're never going to have the the atmosphere that some of the SEC schools do or the Virginia Techs or Clemson's. That's with the schools enrollment, it's just not going to happen. But um, that 2012 game proves that it can happen if we do it right. Um, so I, I don't think that, that there's anything drastic that we can do different. It just needs to be more fan and game centered instead of just noise. Like I think a lot of the music they play is just to fill the deafening silence that Wallace Wade is famous for. Um, yeah, I, I agree with all those, Matt. Maybe, Matt, maybe we need to have you back on with us for that episode. And we just even talk through some of those things even more because we're going to try to organize our thoughts and keep it just like you did. Keep it in a way where like, Hey, maybe the right person hears that, you know, in the in the football um, office, and says, "Yeah, these are some great ideas," you know, and and, and maybe even takes them and runs with them. Uh, you guys have been able to have some really cool interactions, I'm sure, on the road, especially. Um, maybe give us one one of these. Maybe give us your your, uh, you know, as Cutcliffe and his 
in his era with the Cutcliffe era. Maybe what's your favorite personal interaction that you've had uh, with with Coach Cutcliffe, and then maybe uh, maybe your favorite personal interaction with a, a player or a player family, maybe somebody you guys have just kind of clicked with over the years. Well, the cut speaks to us at all the away games, uh, a fist pump or a nod or something like that, because there's usually not many of us at away games. Um, cut is one of the few people outside of the three of us that has one of our hard hats. Um, I did make him one and, and gave it to him. I also gave another one to one of the assistant coaches on the staff, but I'll, I won't say who. Um, so I, I'm very selective of who I make those things and, and give them to, because it takes a lot of work to make them. And I don't want Duke to think that we're selling them and trying to make money off of them, because we definitely don't. I definitely could, because we get asked about it every single place we go. How much is that hat? Let me buy one, and I'm not going to do it. Um, so we've, we've had a lot of good conversations with Coach Cut. Meet the Blue Devil Day. He usually spends a few minutes and talks to us. Um, coming out of away games when the players are getting on the bus and parents are, are socializing with their kids before they get on the bus to, to go back home, we've had some good conversations there. Um, a lot of the assistant coaches have, have kind of gravitated to us and, and had conversations with us because they know that we're never going to be critical of them. And we support them because of the shirt they have on. And as long as they have that shirt on, we're going to support them. Um, the players, I could never narrow it down to one player or family because for years we've sat in the players' family section with the coaches' wives. And uh, I mean, some of the ones that come up to mind are Kenny Ananicki was one of the first players that really came to acknowledge us and, uh, you know, night train, go night train. <laughs> yep. And uh, the most recently, the ones that we're probably the closest with are the Bobos and the Monks. Uh, they, they, they speak to us <clears throat> every time. And, and it's like I told you at the game, it's cool that they come and talk to us and it's cool that we're even a thing but it's also not cool that we're a thing because there should be 500 of us, people just like us that go to every game that, that are all in like we are. And Duke just doesn't have that. And frankly, as small as the school is, I don't know that we'll ever have that, but um, they'll always have three as long as we can go. Yeah. There you go for sure. And, and we felt that too. A couple uh, Calhoun's garners, a couple of those families, you know, with us and this, our podcast is only two years old, but we felt that same thing because of the uniqueness of it. Um, just having folks come over and say hello and hang out. Um, you're right. It's cool on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, man, there should be a lot of this. There should be a lot more of this um, in the stands. And, and, you know, we, we're, we're going to have to turn that around and get that culture um, back to where it needs to be. Uh, but we had, we do have one more game um, playing Miami. Uh, this coming Saturday, and uh, a couple things about that. Real quick, you may not have one of these because I'm asking, I'm asking you right uh, here live. Do you have a Do you have a favorite like Miami alumnus? Any, anybody come to mind off the top of your head that went to the University of Miami that you? They got a lot of football players in the league. A lot. Yeah. Um, doesn't have to be a football player though. Well, I've actually got quite a few. All right. 
anybody who's ever turned the ball over. Yes. Uh, every quarterback's thrown an interception. Uh, I know who is not the jackhole whose knee was down. Not him. 2012, uh, not him. Yeah. yeah. Whoever that was, definitely not that guy. Uh, or any of the striped shirts that were on the field. Right. Um, but I guess the, the cliche thing is the rock. Didn't he go to Miami? He did. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, oh, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I think last year we had uh, Ray Lewis was one last year that we talked about. We talked about the rock last year. We talked about Michael Irvin last year. I forgot uh, he went there. Yeah. Really yeah. Big ones. Um, so yeah, yeah, but that's cool. So this, this coming Saturday though, uh, we're going to do something with you guys. We've been talking to you guys for a few weeks now about this and, uh, we are going to be, uh, crashing the hard hat guys tailgate this Saturday. Um, so listen, we want people to stop by, say hello. I know you guys like to meet other fans that are passionate about Duke football as we like to do the same thing, meeting other fans passionate about Duke football. So tell us a little bit about the tailgate, where it's at, all the information that anybody would need if they wanted to stop by, hang out for a little bit and say hello. Yeah, it'd be great. We'll take everybody that wants to come. Um, we have tailgated in a lot of places at Duke, dating back to we tailgated in the Bassett field off of Bassett Drive back before it became an uh, intramural or whatever field it is now. We were, we tailgated there. We've- uh, Beside the crazy tail guy. Yeah, we were beside his RV. Yeah, the crazy <laughs> tail guy. Um, we've tailgated at 751 lot for years before they built the parking deck. Um, then we went to like science drive, a chemistry, and we've been in B5 for the last few years and uh, it's worked out pretty well. We're within, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump of the gate to get in. Uh, we get to the parking lot around 6 a.m. They open the lots at 6 a.m., maybe a couple minutes early. Uh, as soon as the gate goes open, we go in. And it takes us about an hour to get everything set up, the tents, the TV, satellite, the grill, um, all the paraphernalia set up around the tailgate. And then we'll usually hang out and rest for chill out for an hour or two and then cook breakfast um the biggest draw to our tailgate i've been told is our breakfast we do a a pretty in-depth breakfast sausage bacon eggs pancakes grits yeah so okay. and we're making more than usual this time to accommodate so well i mean today, so even if it's, yeah for sure even if it's just us four we can we can put away some food. I don't know, you know, we're not on video. Uh, we're not recording this video, but you guys are on video with us, and you know we can put some food away. And uh, so B five, just so just so everyone knows where that would be, that is near the gates that are on the visitor side of Wallace Wade. So not on the tower side, but near the gates on the visitor side, kind of over there on the other side of the Yo Center, um, over in the, in that area. And so uh, anytime uh, if you if you want to come by and say hello maybe snap a picture they look those guys don't just come to the game you guys have like a shuttle bus or something right what, what's the deal with what do you drive tell us a little bit about that yeah we uh we were actually offered to go to b5 years before we went but we didn't want to be on the away side of the stadium in retrospect i wish we had because we like it a lot better over there um because we come in the visitor side and then walk around the whole stadium which is cool 
but anyway, we uh, have outgrown every vehicle that we had to take tailgating. And so the joke was, I guess we're just gonna have to buy a bus, you know, or something. Well, uh, my mother, his wife was, was really sick towards the end and she was always adamantly against buying a bus. She was like, how much is enough? When are you gonna stop? How much stuff are y'all gonna buy? Well, um, she passed away in 2016 and you know, we looked at each other and we thought, well, there's nobody to say no anymore. So, so we went and um, we bought a used shuttle bus from just a used car dealership. Took it to a, to a place, had it painted. Uh, I put a bunch of decals on it. I've got a vinyl cutter that I make all of our hats and stuff with. And I put the decals on it and uh, we're still outgrowing that. We're going to have to get a bigger bus. We're running out of space. I love it. So you, you guys will not be missed. So if you get around that B5 lot, uh, you will see the hard hat guys. And like I said, we'll be there with them this Saturday for our final game as Duke tries to pull it out um, and get a, get a win here at the final game of the season against the Miami Hurricanes. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for being on with us tonight. Uh, we're looking forward to hanging out more with you guys. We, if I can just speak on behalf of all four of us that run this podcast, um, man, we appreciate so much your level of fanhood and dedication to Duke football. And like you said, I wish we could get 500 more of you guys um, out in the stands and loyal and, and supportive of the team. And so uh, we just want to say thank you, man, for being Duke football fans, right? Uh, that, that's that's, a, that's a, a small pond that we're all fishing in, uh, but hopefully we can get it bigger as the, as the years go on. We, um, we get there that early. I will warn people, we pack up a little earlier than a lot of tailgates do because we always go to the devil walk. Um, so whatever time the devil walk is, we have to start packing up 45-ish minutes before that. So just to, in case people come by and they see the bus and they're like, where's the tailgate? Well, it started at 6 a.m., but we had to pack up before that. Um, so, but yeah, anybody that wants to come is great. We, we always enjoy meeting people both on, on the road and at home. And we would, we would love for there to be 500. I'll make the hats. If we can get 500 people, I'll make the hats and we can all wear them. So there you um, go. The, the players really appreciate it. I know they do because their parents tell us. Um, it has to be disheartening to come out to a stadium like we had this past week. Yep. Um, so the more fans we can get out there, the better. Absolutely. Well, listen, come by and see us Saturday morning. If you're listening to this, um, say hello. Come hang out with us. Hard Hat Guys, thank you so much for being on with us on the Section 17 podcast you guys have a great rest of your week go do thank you and we do want to thank the hard hat guys for coming on and talking with us and we do want to make sure you know you're invited to come hang with us this saturday in the b5 lot but you know what it means when we get done with our interview folks it's time for the not yet sponsored tell the tape with mr t brian Kennedy. Brian. A little emotional, Josh. This is the last one of the year. I'm, I was hoping to do a bowl game, tell of the tape. It didn't happen, but there's always next year. Okay. Tell of the tape, Miami Hurricanes. Last year, Miami went eight and three and made it to the Cheez-Its Bowl where they lost to Oklahoma State 37 to 34. Currently, Miami is six and five and last week defeated Virginia Tech 38 to 26. Head coach Manny Diaz is in his third season as the Miami head coach and has an overall coaching record of 20 and 15. 
Overall, this is the 19th matchup all time between Duke and Miami, with Miami leading the series matchup 14 to four. Ugh. Hopefully we can get a five in that bracket for the losses. First ever game between the two schools took, back, took place back in 1976 in Miami, where Duke beat Miami 20 to seven. Now the two schools have played each other since Miami joined the ACC in 2005 every year. And from 2005 to last year, Miami has won 13 of the 16 matchups against Duke. Need to change that as well. David Cutcliffe is three and 10 all time against the Miami Hurricanes. Now time for the always fun and popular, Did You Know? The University of Miami's football program began with just a freshman team in 1926. The first game ever was played on October 23, 1926, which resulted in a 7-0 win over Rollins College before 304 fans. Sounds like Thursday night. The team was supposed to start the season in September in a temporary 8,000-seat stadium, but plans were quickly halted when a devastating hurricane rocked Miami on September 17, 1926. Now, under the guidance of head coach Howard Cub Buck, the freshman team posted a perfect 8-0 record in its inaugural season. During the inaugural season, the team adopted the official nickname Hurricanes, though the exact timing and origin of the name is unclear. Some reports suggest it was a reference to the excuse me, check that, devastating power of the 1926 hurricane that postponed the program's first game. Others suggest it was suggested by a Miami player in response to rumors the university officials wanted to name the team after either local flowers or local animals in the Miami region. Regardless of the origins, Miami has one of the most well-known and popular nicknames in college football history. And that was the Did You Know and Tell of the Tape for the Miami Hurricanes. Well, a lot of respect for the Miami Hurricanes. They have a lot of history, um, especially when it comes to their football program, but just at their university in general. And so it is now time for us to bring you who we would say are our favorites. And by the way, this is our first repeat uh, alumni alley. Last year we did this at the very end of the season. We gave our favorite Miami alums, and so we are not going to choose uh, who we chose last year. So this is going to be the second year of it. You're going to get our second team <laughs> of this. This is Alumni Alley, our favorite alumni from the University of Miami. I'm going to start us off tonight. And, yes, I'm going to take one of the most iconic basketball players in the history of basketball. It is none other than Mr. Rick Barry. Rick Barry graduated from the University of Miami in 1965. Uh, he is probably the most well-known for his unorthodox free throw shooting, underhand at, at nearly 90%. In fact, there have been numerous terrible free throw shooters that Rick Barry has tried to convince over the years to shoot free throws like him, but they have not been able to do so and, and been unwilling to hold, uh, to continue uh, uh, going for that underhand look. But Rick Barry was a baller, six foot seven, 205 pound guy. He is now 77 years old, by the way, that makes anybody feel old. But I want to give you just a couple of things. He was named 
as one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history in 1996 and the 50th year anniversary. He is one of only four players to be a part of a championship team, both in the ABA and in the NBA. He ranks as the ABA's uh, scoring leader in regular season, 30.5 points a game. And in postseason ABA, 33.5 points a game. Listen to this. His points per game average in the NBA Finals is 36.3 points per game in the NBA Finals. He is also the only player to score 50 points in a Game 7. 50. A 50-burger in Game 7. Rick Barry, let me give you a couple of his accomplishments. He was the NBA Finals MVP in 1975. He was an eight-time All-Star. He was an ABA champion. He was an NBA champion. He was an All-NBA player. First team, second team. He was the Rookie of the Year. He was on the All-Rookie first team. He's the NBA steals leader in 1975. He was named to the 50th anniversary team. He was named to the 75th anniversary team. He is the NCAA season scoring leader. He was a consensus first team All-American in the NCAA. And his number 24 was retired both by the Miami Hurricanes and by the Golden State Warriors. My favorite alumnus from the University of Miami, Mr. Rick Barry. Well, this is going to be the first official AARP back-to-back alumni alley, guys. Um, my favorite Miami alumnus was born in 1946 in Manhattan. He graduated in 1969. And, and until 1969, he went by the name Mike as his stage name. Um, he's best known for the line, Yo, Yes, I'm talking about the great Sylvester Stallone. In uh, 1976, he gained worldwide fame as Rocky Balboa. Um, did you know, because we always have to have one of these, he actually wrote the scripts to all the Rocky films and actually writes most of the scripts to all the films he's in now. Um, in the 1990s, he was Rocky in Rocky 1, 2, and 3, and 4. Uh, then he decided to become John Rambo, uh, starred in Over the Top, who uh, I think with Rhinestone is two of Brian's favorite movies of all time I've heard this afternoon. Uh, he was in Tango and Cash, and then in the 1990s, uh, he was in, he filmed Rocky V, uh, Stopper, Mom, Mom Will Shoot, Cliffhanger, Demolition Man, The Specialist, Judge Dredd, Assassins, Daylight, Brian's other favorite, Copland. Then from 2000-2005 were some of his declining years where he didn't do a whole lot of anything worth anything. Uh, he was in some movie called Driver, Avenging Angelo, Detox and Spy Kids. Yeah, I've never heard of those either. Most of them. Then from 2006 on, um, which he started gaining success again, he filmed uh, the Rocky Balboa movie, Rambo 4. He filmed the first three Expendables, Bullet to the Head, Grudge Match, the three Escape Plan movies. And he was actually in Guardian of the Galaxies Volume 2. And he was also in Creed and Creed 2. He uh, just most recently had uh, came out with Rambo The Last Blood, which is actually to me one of the better Rambo movies, just for the gore factor, if anything else. 
And funny, at 75 now, 75 years old, he's he just got through writing one. About a year ago, he wrote the movie Samaritan. And he just got through filming the movie Expendables 4, which both should be coming out here in 2022. And honestly, um, if you're into the 80s stuff, the Expendables are perfect for that because you got all the old action heroes from the 80s and some of the newer guys. And the bad guys are usually pretty good in those movies also. Um, but he has five children. And in his spare time, he actually is a painter. And I've seen a bunch of his work. I kind of follow him on Instagram. Uh, he does a great job. I mean, really good with painting and stuff. Stuff I couldn't do. I can barely draw a stick man right. So, him, so, but yeah, uh, Sylvester Stallone, just one of the greatest uh, actors and writers, I would say. And he definitely fits the category for writing guy movies. Movies that boys love and grown men love. So Sylvester Stallone is my favorite Miami alumnus. Sylvester Stallone is my favorite actor, period, Scott. You took him, but I can't fault you for it, man. He's a great actor. What's your favorite Sylvester Stallone movie, guys? See, now you got me on a tangent here. I, I want to know, favorite Stallone movie, Jamie? The first Rambo, for sure. Thank you, first blood, not me. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> I, I was going to say Rambos. The Rambos are, are, I mean, I guess as a kid, I don't know. My parents were pretty strict on what I could and couldn't watch, and somehow Rambo. Maybe it was at buddies' houses. That one slipped through. So that was that's my. When I think of Stallone. That's what I think of. I would be here a while since I'm the old guy in the group. Uh, I really like Copland. That was one of my favorites. There you go. Uh, I, like I say, I'm an Expendables guy, just because of all the old dudes that are in, still in those movies and they're funny. It's it's just my kind of thing. And honestly, like I said a minute ago, Rambo, the last one, was one of my favorites. I guess, like I said, just because it was the last one. I got two underrated ones. Like, he wasn't the main star, but Creed and Creed Two are both really good movies. Yes, they, they are. And he was also, uh, Scott, I don't know if you re knew this or not, he was uh, King Shark in the Suicide Squad that just came out. And apparently everyone loved his uh, performance as King Shark. So, and it might not, that might not be the name. I haven't seen it yet, but I saw clips of it. It was pretty hilarious. So definitely a Renaissance man. I'm going with one of Sylvester Stallone's co-stars in one of the movies that he was in Copland. Uh, and as Josh said earlier, the University of Miami knows how to pump out famous alumni. I'm going with Mr. Ray Liotta, who received his bachelor's degree in fine arts from Miami in 1978. His earliest role was as Joey Perini on the soap opera show, Another World. And he was on that show from 1978 to 1981. Guys, did any of your mothers watch Another World? Just curious. No? No? Okay. Getting a lot of no's. So I guess it wasn't that popular. Uh, he quit the show after the 1981 season to pursue a film career and moved out to L.A. He made his film debut in the movie The Lonely Lady in 1983. And three years later, he earned his first Golden Globe nomination for his role in Something Wild in 1986. Now, he really became famous for his next two movie roles as Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams and Henry Hill in Goodfellas. If you haven't seen those two movies, I highly recommend it. The Field of Dreams movie you can watch with the kids. The Goodfellas, eh, put the kids to bed. 
It's a uh, it's a rough movie. Uh, he's also been uh, well, he's been in the movie industry now for almost forty years, and he's been in well known movies such as Copland, as uh, Scott mentioned earlier. He was in that with Sylvester Stallone, Hannibal, John Q, Identity. I could keep going like Scott did, but I'm not going to do that for the sake of time. He's also hosted Saturday Night Live, and he's lended his voice to voice characters in Family Guy and The Simpsons. Not many people can say that. Uh, he was also the voice of Tommy Versetti in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. If you're a video game player, then you know uh, Grand Theft Auto is a very popular video game series. And he actually earned a Primetime Emmy Award for his role as Charlie Metcalf on an episode of ER. So another Renaissance man, Ray Liotta, he can do it all. My pick for the Miami Alumni Alley. Wow, Grand Theft Auto, Vice City shot up. I love it. Um, yeah, and my favorite alumni, in a huge shocker, actually played for the Carolina Panthers. Y'all know me. I'm going to always choose somebody that has a has a Panthers uh, background. So my favorite alumni from the University of Miami is Dan Morgan. Morgan grew up in Clifton Heights, Pennsylvania. He started playing football at an early age for the Clifton Heights Rams in the Burt Bell Football League. He played his freshman year of high school in Pennsylvania at Upper Darby High School. But then he played his last three years in Coral Gables at J.P. Terravella High School. Not sure about the pronunciation of that, but that's what I went with. This is pretty amazing. His junior year in high school, he rushed for over 13 yards and 13 touchdowns. And as a senior, he was named All-County while playing running back, linebacker, and strong safety. Morgan attended the University of Miami and played football for the Canes from 1997 to 2000. And he actually started out as a fullback for the uh, Canes. He switched to weak side linebacker one week before the season started. He became the first freshman linebacker to start for the Canes since Ray Lewis did, did it in 1993. He was named second team freshman All-America by the Sporting News. He had 105 tackles, three sacks, and a forced fumble. And he became the first sophomore team captain in Miami history. He was named to the all Big East team after leading Miami with an impressive 150 tackles. His junior year, Morgan led Miami with another impressive 139 tackles. He also had five sacks and he was named second team all Big East. He was also a finalist for the Butkus and Nagurski awards. In his senior year, Morgan won all the awards. He was the first player in NCAA history to win the Butkus, Nagurski, and Bednarik Awards in the same season. He was first team all Big East. He was Big East Defensive Player of the Year and a unanimous first team All-American. At the end of his college career, Morgan was the all-time tackles leader at Miami and also the all-time tackles leader in the Big East Conference. Morgan was inducted into the Miami Sports Hall of Fame in 2011. Morgan was selected by my Carolina Panthers 11th overall in the 2001 NFL Draft. He started 11 games his rookie year at weak side and strong side linebacker. He ended the season with 75 tackles, one sack, one interception, and one fumble recovery. In his second season, Morgan helped turn the worst defense in the league. The Panthers were 1-15 the previous season and into the second-ranked defense in the league. That was the biggest turnaround in NFL history at the time. Morgan was an integral part of the Carolina Panthers team that went to the Super Bowl. He, he actually set a Super Bowl record with 18 tackles in the game. 
He had 11 solo and seven assisted that night. Unfortunately, Morgan's career was cut short due to injuries. He was ultimately released by the Panthers in February of 2008. Morgan announced his retirement. After that, he cited a Achilles injury and just overall slow recovery from injuries he had during his career. Morgan stayed around football after his playing career was over. In 2010, he started with the Seahawks as a scouting intern. In 2011, he was named the assistant director of pro personnel. And in 2009, in 2015, he was named director of pro personnel for the Seahawks. From 2018 to 2020, he was director of player personnel for the Buffalo Bills. And in 2021, everything comes full circle and he came back to where it all started. And he was named the assistant general man manager for the Carolina Panthers. That's my favorite alumni, Dan Morgan. Awesome. So our favorite four favorites from the University of Miami. And we're looking forward to the game this Saturday. Speaking of the game this Saturday, let's talk a little bit. Our predictions, what the score is going to be, who's going to win, and then also our jersey predictions, as we did last week, guys. Let's do that together. So tell us a little bit of your thoughts about this weekend's game, and then tell us who's going to win the score, and then tell us what the uniform combination is going to be. And um, Brian? Why don't you start us out, man? I know we we said to get past the Louisville game, but we do have Louisville prediction winners still to to announce. Oh, so. oh that's right. Let's see if anybody got close on this one. I gotta tell you, I'm I'm very impressed in uh, by some of these predictions on Facebook. Mr. John Oakley, he is definitely a contributor. Predicted Louisville fifty-two, Duke sixteen. On Twitter, this guy called his shot at the tailgate, that he would probably be the prediction winner. Mr. Bob Green, old J, at J. Bob Green, Louisville, 56, Duke, 17. Hey, shout out Bob Green. He was at our tailgate uh, hanging out with us uh, there with Chris this week. Shout out to Bob. Yeah, he, he told me that, or he told us that he could possibly win. So, Bob, congratulations, as well as Mr. John Oakley. All right, going to be another rough one I, I truly believe uh over under 68 and a half points Duke is now allowing 517 yards after the Malik show thir- this past Thursday night they're still averaging 436 yards a game and Miami's actually giving up 400 yards as well I see a big 12 shootout but I see it in the first quarter and then Miami pulls away I want to say Miami 42 Duke 28 I'm also going to predict that Mateo does break the record. Give him 125 yards. And then for the jerseys, this is a tough one, guys, because in 19, we went blue, blue, white with the blue, with the script. 17, if you remember, was the Friday night game where we had the Hellraiser gray out equipment staff. Just throwing that out there. But we probably won't do it for a 1230 game. And then in 15, we went with the blackout with the Blue D. We went traditional Thursday night, which was a, was a downer, not going to lie. We're going to end it, the season that is, with, I'm going to throw a curveball, black helmet with the Blue D, blue top, blue bottom. Black, blue, blue. Jamie? My bad. <laughs> I was uh, trying to unmute there. Couldn't uh, couldn't get it. Um, Stop fishing. <laughs> yeah, 
this game is going to be another rough one. Uh, Miami, if you Van Dyke's been playing really well. Uh, they have uh, some good receivers. Rambo, actually, talking about Rocky, Rambo. He has over 1,000 yards receiving um, on the year, averaging 15 yards a catch, five touchdowns. Um, I do not like our secondary in this game. Um, I think I think Mateo can break the record, like what Brian said last week. Miami gave up over 200 yards on the ground. Um, so we could see – I really would – if Mateo's healthy, I hope that we give him the ball enough to try to to get that 97 yards or get that 98 yards and break break the record. Um, but I think I'm going to go with Miami 55, Duke 17. Miami 55, Duke 17. What, what about those uniform combos, Jamie? What are we going to wear? My bad. Yeah, that was another another uh miscue Stop on my part. Fishing. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and go. And this is this is more of a joke than anything. Uh I'm gonna go with all black because we're gonna be mourning this football season. Nina King, do the right thing. Let's go. Man, I love it. So Jamie's going all black. So I'm assuming we're even going all black with like the black D on the as the decal. I mean, it's all black, just completely. Completely all black. So, uh, all right. Duke Miami to close the season out. First of all, the knee was down. 2012. ACC, you still got time. Get it right. Give us a win. Anyway, shout out to Deion Jackson for the rain game when he went crazy and we beat Miami. I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think positively, guys. I, I don't know here. Uh, but – on the Duke side of things, I hope Gunner is able to finish the season out strong. I hope that Jake Bobo <clears throat> finishes his season out strong. How awesome is it that Jake has had this season with no injuries? We have finally seen, we are finally seeing what Jake Bobo has been, uh, had the potential of being his entire career. Would be really cool if they threw the ball to Jake Bobo in the red zone, though. Just going to throw that out there. All of those receptions, all those yard, all that yardage. One touchdown. So let's uh, let's make Jake Bobo um, a part of our red zone offense. We'd love to see Jalen Calhoun and Jake Bobo have good days uh, this this Saturday. Obviously, that all relies upon getting Mateo that record, and I think we do need to. Uh, we have literally nothing else to play for, and we li- we need to make sure Mateo gets the touches to get that record. As we said in the past, it'd be nice if he could break off a long run. Uh, and kind of get that taken care of early on in the game. Uh, but we shall see. So what's going to happen? You mentioned Van Dyke. I believe it's five straight games. He has thrown for 300 yards and three-plus touchdowns. Five straight games. As Jamie mentioned, I've got no confidence in our secondary in this game. It's going to be bad. Something I would like to look into, Brian, and maybe this is kind of down your alley. You mentioned the uh, having the points as the the over. Uh, it's like 68, I think you said, for this game. 68. I would like to see this season um, our games that have gone over because I think we've given up. I think no matter what, the, what that number's been, I feel like it's gone over every time because our defense has given up so many points. So it's, it's, it's not going to be any different this time. 68, I'm going to go Miami 
57. And I'm going to go Duke, 14. 57 to 14. And listen, we're going to be there. What could be David Cutcliffe's last game. And we're going to clap for him. And we're going to thank him. And we're going to cheer for these, these guys. Just because we have the daggone character of being a Duke football fan. But I hope and pray that uh, that this season can just end, we can move on, and we can improve. But we will be there, and we will cheer it on uh, no matter what this Saturday. And your jersey combo? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Man, they're going to finish it with a script. They're going to – I'm going to go all blues, man. We're going to go all blues again with the blue script uh, helmets. So, all blues. We're going to go – I like that look, by the way. I, I'll take that. All blues with the blue script helmet. Well, you know, we've we've obviously we've kind of covered all of what Miami is. Uh, like I said, TBD Tyler Van Dyke's been great. Charleston Rambo, the Oklahoma transfer, has been unbelievable. Mike Harley's been great. Um, a couple things to just think about from the defensive side for Miami. They have thirty sacks on the season. Uh, they have seven INTs and four forced fumbles. They average seven penalties with 66 yards per game. And obviously with Miami being a three-touchdown favorite, which is always the thing you want to have when you're the in your last game of the season for some reason, um, I'm going to go with 49-14 uh, to 14 Miami. And I do believe, I meant to comment earlier, that it was Corn Elder whose knee was down. So he is the most hated Miami alumni of all time and will always be him and those zebras that they picked up off the street corner with the will work for food signs. Um, and, you know, I personally would love to see the all blacks. I believe I, you know, we jokingly said it last week. I think the equipment staff has mailed it in to so no offense guys, but I think you've mailed it in. I'm going to go with white Josh. We'll go all blue with the blue script on the helmet. Um, I like I said, the blacks would be great. Any combination other than what we've had would be great, but I just feel like that's what we're going to come down with. And let's be honest, um, again, like Josh just said, everybody, you know, at the end of the game, win or lose, no matter what happens, we need to celebrate these boys, these men. These coaches, you know, even if we've not had the greatest of season, we need to be there to support them. I I appreciate all the, the, the hard work these guys have put in. And here's something to think about. Just, you know, Josh mentioned this kind of sort of. We had no significant major injuries this year. I mean, we're starting most of the guys that started the season unless they fell down on the depth chart. No, indie, no season ending injuries. That's a first. I mean – Lord have mercy, that's a first. So, you know, shout out to the guys, even like Gunner, who's been hurt. He's still manned up and played because he wants to play, because he wants to play with these guys, this team. So, you know, again, support our guys. And since I'm the last guy going before we close here, hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a great time with your family, your food, your football. And, you know, look forward to seeing you Saturday out there with the, the hard hat guys. And 
you know, if you don't get to make it out for that, swing by 17, section 17 up here at the top and say hey to us. We appreciate we appreciate everything I've done. And I know we could spend 10 more minutes, so I'll shut up and let Brian talk. Oh, no. No, I, I echo everything you said. And apparently it's uh, uh, being a student day at Duke. So if, I, I guess if you've been a student in your lifetime that you can get in um, or human being day or breathing air day, you know, you got to have some fun with it, with the way the season has gone. And uh, again, we don't know what the future holds after Saturday and what our last episode of the season will be next week. But all we can say is it's the here and the now. We're going to go out, support this Duke football team, and we will, for all intended purposes, thank Coach Cutcliffe for everything that he has done for this program. But with that, another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast has come to a close. Join us next week as we wrap up the 2021 season and also see who won the season prediction game between the four of us and which one of you out there predicted the best of the best. As always, be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching Duke Football Talk and on Twitter by searching at Duke FB Talk. For Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast.